Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Daniel Pemberton, who is fresh off of scoring what's turned out to be an incredible smash hit across the Spider-Verse. And I've gotta say, if you haven't seen the movie yet, haven't heard the score, I know it's only come out this weekend, watching it, listening to it, that's gonna do it justice compared to my description. But what I will say is, it's a heck of a score, and it's probably going to be, and really I've already seen it, on people's lists for the best of the year. It's long, it's like an hour 45, but if you can get past that aspect, it is such a creative, eclectic force. And so, Daniel and I talk about that for a bit, unsurprisingly, and then, as always happens, we start wandering around and exploring new grounds. Daniel takes a detour talking about his work on Brian and Charles, which was a film from last year I really enjoyed. He talks about his thoughts on composer studios, composer teams, having ghostwriters, a number of assistants, things like that. And we sort of wrap up talking about some of the in Daniel's view and uh, view that I share, some of the more influential scores recently. I cover actually quite a bit in only half an hour. It's very efficient. Of course, you can find out more about Daniel on his website, his social media. You do the same for me. And the Blitz is done. After this, I'll be going back onto a more normal schedule. So, sorry you're not going to hear me every week. But until then, until that next episode, that next interview... Sit back and enjoy. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. How have you been? Yeah, all good. Finally escaped the Spider-Verse. It feels like I have been in the Spider-Verse for a very, very long time. So it's kind of like surreal to sort of finally be out of it and to allow some other people to, to join it. Well, are you are you fully out of it, though? Because there's a, a third entry that's coming out. I think it's still slated for next year. Yeah, uh, well, let's just put it this way. No one, we've, we, I think there's an informal pact that we've all made to not talk about the third film because right now <laughs> everyone on this movie has worked so unbelievably hard on this film. And when you see it, you understand like the effort and the level of detail is so off the scale that everyone is like so exhausted. We're like, no one talk about the next film, please. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, all right, then... Going back to this one, I mean, and given the scope of the first film, uh, both the film itself, the score, is there a push externally or internally to do even more on the second entry? Felt like we pushed the boundaries a lot on the first film, and I think the second was like, okay, we've managed to do this rather than just, you know, they could have easily done a movie that was just like more of the same. Mm -hmm. But I think it was like, okay, let's see how far we can push this, and it's so, so. I think the second one. The worlds are so much more, there's so many different worlds, they're so much more expansive. There's so many new characters. You know, I think with the first film, it was so centered around Miles. And I think with this new film, we get a lot more new characters and new universes. And each of those worlds and people have to have their own sound, their own themes. And so it definitely feels like a more epic and broader, wider sound world for the new one. With that many characters, that many worlds having distinct sounds, palettes for them, how do you strike a balance of that without it just turning into like 
two hours of sonic chaos yeah yeah well that well you haven't seen the film because it probably is two hours of sonic (laughs) chaos but we did so so on this i did a lot of like what i call like research and development for a couple of years so i kind of met with the filmmakers early on they taught me through concept art like art approaches how different worlds were going to look like each world has a different art style and a different approach and aesthetic and so then be like okay we've got to build the palette and build the approach for these these worlds you know if you look at gwen's world gwen's world is very dreamlike watercolors based on her comic books it's got these like beautiful sort of evolving watercolors he's got this backstory that's kind of like based in sort of rock and pop and so that score has an element that, that takes all those into consideration whereas 2099's world is a lot more like technological muscular very futuristic and so that world is is far more abrasive electronic and again it's trying to build very distinctive worlds and character themes and motifs like 2099 has this wow 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 sort of sound which we actually managed to get in a few of the trailers early on so some people have sort of heard that gwen's sound is a lot more balletic we have other characters have like a baddie the spot has a sound vulture turns up early on you know he comes from renaissance italy he's got an opera vocal and it's like how do you write and create a score where all these can interact and it is really complicated because the same problems they have with the film the challenges of you have all these different spider people all who have completely different art styles you know if you look at the first film with peter porker his art style was a 2d pig and the challenge of making those all feel coherent is a really big part of the mission of, of trying to make this movie and it's the same with the music you know i've been trying to create themes sounds so that everything can interact everything connects so the first film is connected to seconds film musically there are motifs themes sounds textures from the first film that represent certain things and they still represent them in the second film and they've been adapted in ways or rearranged but then there are all these new themes and new ideas and it's really important for me that this is not just a film score where it's like okay i'm just scoring whatever's in front of me everything i'm doing has been thought about really heavily and about how it connects to the the spider-verse like there's a sequence at the guggenheim which is a big big action scene at the beginning and obviously i don't want to talk too much about the film because sure, sure, people sure. haven't seen it but it's not you know so in this we have a whole bunch of characters we have gwen we have 2099 we have vulture baddie we have another spider person who turns up which maybe we won't say all those characters have themes sounds and the action is jumping between their stories early on a couple of seconds on 2099 now we've got to move to gwen now we've got to move to someone else you know you're doing something where you're, you're jumping so quickly between ideas and then it all culminates as they all work together at the end and it is really difficult it's been very challenging to make that feel coherent and make it feel effortless and hopefully it does feel kind of effortless when you watch it. But so much, a lot of what I do is trying out very complicated things to make things feel like they weren't very complicated. So with that, and it being a deliberate process, you know, you spending a lot of time on it, were there still moments where you're hitting obstacles, thinking, how is this going to work? How can I make this work? And it not working at, at given points? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the whole process of, of film scoring is you're constantly having those challenges and those difficulties of how can we refine a sequence how can we make it feel more impactful how can we make it feel different and like you know through this every second of music in this film has 
probably gone through multiple iterations. It might have gone through multiple different ideas. We'd have approached it in different ways. Sequences would have changed massively. Sequences have been extended, cut down. You know, I can do a sequence and then later we decide we could do it better. Like anytime we can make something better, we try and make it better. And it sort of means the film never ends. You know, like this film wasn't out in like seven days. We'd still be working on it and, and trying to like tweak things because I think all the team on it are like such perfectionists. There's always something you could do to make something a bit better. But I feel like, you know, we spent so long on this, everyone on the on this project. And I really think everyone has been pushing at such a high level. I think even on the first film, we were all aware we were doing something very unique. And I think that opportunity is rarer than it it should be. So we were all so enthused to just like give it everything. And on this film, we've given it everything and some more. Well, the amount of time you've had to work on this too. I mean, I don't know at what point you actually started writing, but being involved in the development that long is, you know, almost completely unheard of in film music. So it also seems nice that not only is everyone a perfectionist and trying to do something that's taking all this complexity and turning it into something that feels effortless, but you're having the the a real chance to do that with that much time. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's a sort of weird thing because I sort of say there's a process which is like research and development, which is a very long process at the beginning, which is, you know, the same the animators are doing it, the writers, directors, where we're trying ideas out. There's loads of ideas that didn't make it into this movie that might make it into other ones. And the same with the music. You know, one, one of the craziest things, actually, the opening and ending piece of this film was actually one of the very first pieces I wrote. And we'd forgotten about it. It was like an early sketch of like, here's some ideas. And then quite late into the process, I can't remember if it was Phil or Katie, the music editor, was just like, oh, let's just, I was, or oh, it's me. It's just like, let's just try this piece out. You know, that piece we did ages ago that we forgot about. And then suddenly we put it on, we're like, oh my God, that should be the opening of the film. And suddenly that becomes the opening and the ending of a film. And that wouldn't have happened without the experimentation early on. I mean, obviously we didn't just put the piece on and we're like, sure, that's yeah. it, done a lot of reworking went into it, but the concept of it became the opening and the ending of the movie. And having that chance to fail is really important because you can try things out. Oh, this doesn't work. This sounds crap. Suddenly you come up with something. Now this sounds great. And a huge amount of time was spent building sounds, melodic ideas. And a lot of those didn't go anywhere or I wasn't happy with them. And it's only when we get the ones where we're like, okay, that's it. And hopefully you end up with this this score that has got so many different techniques in it. I mean, this score has so many different writing, recording, producing techniques. It's crazy. You know, we've got like huge orchestral stuff. We've got like mad hip hop stuff. We've got record scratching. We've got opera. We've got interesting time stretched elements, which hmm. people wouldn't really appreciate. But we built this very crazy engine early on that could time stretch in real time, like beats and anything. And at one point I was doing a little score through that, but then it didn't really work. And it was like, okay, this doesn't work in the way I want it to because this, the pitch keeps changing, but it works for these things like the beats, like 2099 sound actually came together quite fast, but other things like Gwen's took quite a long time. When you're trying to do something new, there isn't the roadmap. You know, if I'm trying to write an orchestral score with a big string theme, there's a whole bunch of tools to do that. You kind of know what that's going to be. Whereas with this, we don't know what it is and it could be anything. So it's like you keep, exploring and keep pushing until you find the thing that feels right to the film 
When talking about how helpful it is to have the opportunity to fail, to fail, to learn from that, and, and you know, maybe it's, like you're saying, less integral when it's um, a score where you have that roadmap already, but do you think the normal timeline that a, a film composer has, you know, six, eight weeks to work on something, takes away from that opportunity to experiment and fail? Well, yes, and yes, but it can also be really helpful. Like, I've done movies incredibly quickly, and having a lack of time can also be very good because it forces everyone to focus. Hmm. It forces you to focus. Like, I did this film last year for David O. Russell called Amsterdam, and I came on that movie incredibly late, and I had to do the whole thing in about three weeks. And that meant I had to rely purely on my gut of, like, what I thought the movie needed. And we didn't have loads of time to faff about. So I was like, I want to write this all with woodwinds. This is the palette I want to use. This is the idea. As a result, I think we got a really interesting score. And I think if I'd had two years to do that, A, I don't think I'd have probably still been on the film. But I also think the score wouldn't have had the vitality. Because there's a moment when you get an idea, like every time I read a script, the first hour afterwards can often be the most important hour because... Mm -hmm. It's so fresh, all these ideas in your mind. And I often find that's when I might write a theme. I might come up with an idea that actually becomes really integral. And if you look at Spider-Verse, one of the very first pieces I wrote becomes the opening and the ending of the film. And we'd forgotten about that. That was just in a, in a kind of bin of like, here's a lot of early ideas. And then later you realize that was the strongest idea, the first thing that came into your head. But then by that point, we've developed all these other techniques and we can bring them into that piece as well. And I think going through this, because you're building this this world from the ground up the rules are still being established musically you're not just doing your usual sound you know like it's not one of these things where it's like here's the sound i have as a composer mm-hmm. let's just press a button and do a new version of it it's like we've got to develop this entire ecosystem from like how do we score emotion and how do we score action or excitement or threat all within this language without resorting to the tricks that have been used a million times. I will say I've I remember listening to Amsterdam last year. You would never have guessed that that came together in three weeks. You're joining the ranks of uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who did things like yeah, Chinatown, well, or I think Air Force One in like two weeks. I have just done a movie, which I probably can't tell you about yet. <laughs> um, but I've just done a movie in a week. Oh my and it's, god! It's insane. I did it the day after I finished Spider Verse. So coming off Spider Verse was very intense it's been such an intense experience like so full-on that i realized if i just stopped it'd be like a kind of junkie coming off heroin or something it's like okay i need something else just to take me down so i ended up going on another movie which they wanted me to work on certain scenes because they were having problems getting them working so i said oh i'll work on that i've only got this much time so i started writing that on i finished spider-verse on a wednesday I started writing this other movie on a Thursday and the following Wednesday we were recording it with an orchestra. I've ended up scoring the entire movie based on what I wrote in that week that used a lot of my pieces. Uh, it's a great film, actually. It's a very, very iconic director who's only made about 10 movies and they're all pretty, pretty special. So that will get announced quite soon, I think. Yeah. So sometimes that can be great. And I like for that film, I approached that in a way that I wouldn't have done if I was on that movie for two years. And again, it's the personalities. Like this director has a, let's say, a very colorful reputation for how he treats composers in the past. And so I was aware of that and I was aware of how he likes to work with music, which is he likes to have tons of control. So it meant 
I wrote in a way that would give him control with hopefully not screwing up the piece. And that probably works better for the film. Every film is a different beast and it's, it's trying to work out how you tackle it. The Spider-Verse is probably the most complicated and intense beast I've ever had to tackle. I have some, uh, you know, some hunches, but I'll, I'll wait for that official announcement. You have like... What, what, what are your hunches? What are your hunches? I'm not going to say anything. Oh, I mean... One of them... Look, so, all right, so one talking about a, a director like Control, David Fincher is someone like that, although I don't know if he has any projects coming out. Talking about being colorful, Wes Anderson has a film coming out as well. I don't know. Yeah, it's none of those two. But it's that right. kind of, it's, it, it's that kind of, it's that kind of like iconicness. So uh, you'll find all right, out. All right. So going back to the the scope of Spider Verse from the musical side, what was the collaborative process like for you? Both creating the score itself, writing it, recording it, and then working with the filmmakers as well to make sure the sounds were right and to get everything to fit in place. It was so. Everyone was so kind of like knitted together or webbed together, if I go for like a Spidey reference. This film has been going on and on and on. And I'm working in tandem and liaison with the edit, the directors, all the way through it. I'm working on scenes. Let's get this one working. We want to change this. This scene's changed. You know, at one point I was actually almost pretty much living at Sony in LA. Like I, I, I live and work in London, but we decided for the final push, I should come out to LA. So I was like living just around the corner from Sony. And I was at Sony every day till like midnight in a little room, like just working that score that was like, you know, so I'd be close to the edit and the edit would be like two doors down. So that's how close it got on this. You know, we're constantly having meetings with views about how to make sequences work better, different approaches on sequences. You know, there's a bunch of sequences where you know, scored it one way and then we later decide maybe we should score it another way. Yeah, it was a very long and close relationship during the film. Moving away from from Spider-Verse a bit, just because we don't have a ton of time. Yeah. And and maybe you, you slightly answered this already, given that, you know, you did a score in a week. But you've had a really prolific output for a while. Like, I, I mean, at least on, on IMDb, you had eight, eight titles just for 2022. And I know that the timing for when you score something yeah. when it actually comes out doesn't line up yeah but still like you're doing quite a lot of projects often with varied sounds varied palettes and like they're all high quality so yeah what is the the secret or the key to writing so much and yet making sure that it's actually all good i think well first of all it's like if you connect with the film as soon as you connect with the film or the project and that film or project has got an opportunity for something unique and an opportunity to express like an individuality. Those are the kind of projects I choose. I don't choose things because I think they're going to be commercially successful. There's a number of movies I just turn down because, you know, I don't feel there's any way to do something particularly new with them. So I always try and choose projects where I feel I can express myself. And as soon as you can do that, it instantly becomes easier to write because I love writing music and you know, some things I can write quite quickly. Some things can take forever. And if you're, I'd rather not do a film in a week. That was a very unique, but it has another element to it, which is fascinating. And it's kind of just sometimes just looking at the craftsmanship of being a film composer. And there's elements, you know, when you're pushing as far as you can, like I say, with Spider-Verse to be like, create one of the, you know, hopefully like great works of art. And other times where you're like, okay, you've got a challenge. Like, how do I approach this in a way that feels different? 
And I, I sort of still believe you can create great work to do that. I always think if you look at Morricone's career, he's probably my favorite film composer. He did so much work. And some of those films were not very good. Some of them were amazing. And some of those scores were amazing. And some of them were less amazing. But even the less amazing ones were pretty good. But I, I still think through that work ethic, we got some amazing pieces of music that might never have existed if he was like, I'm only doing one film a year. And I like swapping up how I work. And I think that keeps me excited. I think if I did the same kind of score every time, it would start to feel less fresh. And I think the quality would dip because you're kind of doing the same thing. But if I've got, like I did a film last year called Brian and Charles, which was a, a really low budget, like really low budget indie film. And at that time, it didn't even have a distributor. I just liked the movie. So I was like, great, I'm going to do a tiny British film because I don't want to be seen as this big Hollywood sellout. And then of course it sort of wins at Sundance and then gets, bought by a big Hollywood studio. So <laughs> Universal bought it. So I just end up looking like, but but for that, for instance, I was like, I want to use like just really old knackered keyboards. And, you know, there's certain things I can do on those and certain things I can't. With Spider-Verse, for instance, everything in the world is at my disposal in how I want to approach it. But with Brian and Charles, it's like, no, I want to keep this really simple. And, you know, I'm using synthesizers that like don't even have MIDI. So I have to play everything in by hand. And then that changes how you write because you're like, well, if I have to play this all in by hand and I can only play one note at a time, that melody has got to be really good. Or I've got to find a way that's going to make this work. And so you, it's a new challenge. And then you, you approach it with a freshness that means hopefully you can hear that in the music where you can hear someone's engaged with it and they're not just knocking it out. Even if it sounds like it is being knocked out. It's like there's actually a passion there. And I think when there is a passion in the work, you can hear it in the score. I've got to say, I'm I'm so annoyed you mentioned Brian and Charles unprompted because I have that written down as something I wanted to talk about because I, I watched it when I was in England last year visiting my in-laws. And yeah, like, I, absolutely. It's, I mean, one, I like, I loved that movie, but it was also just a, a very interesting, different musical palette and take from you having something that feels like more low-key, more like, vintage synth, vintage keyboard. It is exciting that wanting to not do the same thing is something that is present on your mind, at least to some extent. Yeah, I mean, it's a really big thing. You know, like I try and approach, like I really like writing music for film. Sometimes it drives me around the bend. and But deep down, I really like it, which is probably why I do too many jobs because I'm like, <laughs> this is more fun than not doing it. If I don't do it, I get bored really quickly. And I think because also because it's me doing everything, it's not, I think there's some composers, they get to a certain size, they build teams of people mm-hmm. and the teams start doing the music. And what I've really, really started to, and I'm not necessarily against that. I understand the pressure of definitely doing big films of like just the sheer manpower sometimes you need for that. But what I do think happens is when that happens, the quality is never going to be at the same level as an individual, because I think there's not a overarching understanding of a score and there's not a sort of commitment to it. Like if I'm doing everything myself, I can make very big decisions about certain scenes and maybe how they should connect to others or how actually this should sound completely different to the temp or an idea that the, like, you know, if it's been tempted in a way for excitement and I'm like, actually, this is wrong. This should be like this. Cause then I can make this bit exciting and connect this to here and here and here. And I think you can only do that when you have like the map in your head of the entire film. And I think when there's a thing where it's divvied up between teams of writers, 
that starts to disappear and it becomes just serving the problem in front of you. You know, I like to create more problems for myself, basically. I think my thing is I create more problems because I'm trying to make the film better. And it's annoying because it makes my life a lot harder. But I think you hear it, hopefully, in the results. Yeah, I think you definitely do. And then I'm I'm glad that you gave your opinion on that, just because I know that some of those concepts are big discussion points in the the scoring world broadly. And you, you hear so many different takes or ideas on them. So it's it's nice to get a a personal yet level headed thought from you on it. Yeah, I think it's it's a complicated thing because I think a lot more of it goes on than anyone talks about. And I've always been quite surprised, which is a polite way of putting it to find out stories about that because I'm sort of, I've got one assistant called Alex and he's brilliant and he helps me build samples and create sounds conforms and, and chops up but I still do everything and if if I do something with someone else then they get a credit you know I do slow horses with these great guys called toy drum mm-hmm. and that's a collaboration we work together I'm still scoring that series they're scoring bits of it we're working together on some cues some cues I'm doing some cues they're doing and that's been interesting for me as well, just working with other people and seeing the strengths of that and the weaknesses. But I think you're always going to get a more interesting score when there is like one voice that is really over the entire score. The more it's sort of turned in by committee. Hmm. And that's from everything. That's from notes. You know, if you've got a strong director, that's one voice. And that's going to give you a better film. If you've got a committee of millions of different differing notes, everything's going to get watered down a bit. And I think the more there can be a strong voice in a film, whether that is direction, whether that's music, the more individual and the more exciting the results are going to be. I can't disagree. With, I think there's a lot to that. But See, I think the other thing is as well, if you have like a, a lot of other people, you have to build a system that they can work within. Hmm. If you want to try and change that system, which is kind of what I try and do in every movie, it's very hard to have that machinery behind you. Because if you've got a machine that does a couple of things exceptionally well, if you suddenly want to go and make, let's say, Brian and Charles on some crap keyboards that have no MIDI, that doesn't fit within the system that might be built around a certain sample set build-up. Or I want to go and do something that's just a badly recorded guitar and a penny whistle or something. Suddenly that doesn't work within this, this framework. So it, you end up even subconsciously not taking those risks because you're like, I have to make this work within. And I have that even when I do films. I know if, if I'm going to get loads of notes, and I know there's going to be a process very difficult. I'll write in a different way hmm. because I'm trying to get the best music I can into the film. But if I, if I do demos that sound crap, and some of my demos do sound crap because I know the end result is going to be great, it's not going to be much use if they all get turned down by the execs or producers or director because they don't hear that it's going to be great at the end because you know it doesn't get in the film then. So it might mean, well, I have to make demos that are really good so that means I might write in a different way. Do you think that that then leads to what, you know, at least in my view, is is less maybe creative or musical risk-taking in a lot of larger projects? Yeah, I'd say it's, it's well, A, if you do a larger project, it's a lot harder to take a risk because there's so much at play. And I, and I kind of get it. It's like, look, mm. if a studio is spending 200, 100 million or something on a film, it's hard for them to be like, oh, yeah, just do this really crazy score. But you have people supporting that or, or they go into it like we want to do something different. Like with Spidey, it's like what was interesting is early on, they'd tempt a few scenes with more conventional superhero mu- movie music. And it was interesting how actually 
that was detrimental to the film because scenes that now feel really exciting actually just felt a bit boring. They just felt like things you'd seen before. And I think, you know, you can find projects where people want new. I mean, I think people always do want new. It's just the safety of what you've had before. It's like when you go into a restaurant and you're like, I kind of should order something else, but I really want a burger because I know it's going to be fine and I'm not going to have to think about it and it's going to taste fine. It's a bit like that. You know, we're all guilty of it. When you can find those bigger projects where you can really do something different, that's for me really exciting because I think on smaller indie movies, there's a lot more opportunity to create something different because the stakes are different the scale is different but when you're on big big scale movies pulling something off different is i always really admire anyone who does that and gets away with it because it, it changes once someone does that like a great example is the social network mm. like that score i would say completely transformed film music in a number of ways and it showed that you could have a very electronic score on a sort of prestige movie and it worked and it'd be really effective and more effective than a sort of traditional score and so I think that opened the doorway for a lot of different sort of sounds and voices to come through. You know, if you look at Joker, that's a pretty crazy score for, for, <laughs> yeah, for you know, a kind of superhero movie. And I think, again, that shows that a different approach can be successful and commercially successful, which allows people to relax more when someone else suggests doing something mental. And I'm not saying that's a mental score. I mean, mental in the best way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. I mean, and, and look, I, I know that that, happens with temp music as well you know you get things like cliff martinez's solaris that i've heard gets thrown in all yeah. the time now as reference music i mean like solaris is a great like solaris is one of those scores that is such an amazing score and like for me that's like a composer's score everyone who was a film composer or tv composer was like oh my god this is amazing how did he get that sound and i feel like every now and again a score comes about where everyone's like oh my god that is that's changed the game but even for like Cliff, you can imagine he, he'll get annoyed because he'd be like, can you just do that again? He, <laughs> I've heard scores of his where you can tell they're just tempted with Solaris. But again, that is an example of a great individual voice and a great yeah. artist coming up with something completely new. Again, all it takes is just one thing and that changes the course of, of film music. Yeah, I love that side of it. Of course, there's the downside of it changes it too much and then suddenly too many scores end up getting pushed in that direction but i think that's a, a different conversation i'm always like you just got to go with what the film needs like i'd love yeah. to write a hugely thematic orchestral score but it needs to be the right film i, I do that i do a series called enola holmes and i get to write very melodic orchestral music which i enjoy doing but i don't want to do that all the time because i also want to make weird atonal electronic music or jazz music so for me it's like it's almost like joining a different band every couple of months which is awesome. I mean, I'm I'm sure that yeah. would be like a nightmare for some people, but I appreciate that that you do that because every time you have a new score out, you know, it's like who knows what this is going to sound like, but it's Good. it's an That's exciting anticipation. It's like a like a Tarantino film, right? The reason Tarantino films are so good is because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know who's going to die and who's going to get away, and so you go into that movie going, I don't know what I'm going to experience. Whereas a lot of films, you go in and you're like, he's not going to die. Like, if you watch Mission Impossible, which I think is great, but you know Tom Cruise is not going to die. It's going to be like, how does he get out of this one? But you know he's not going to die. But if Tom Cruise died, you'd be like, oh my God. You'd probably ask your money back. And we don't want Tom Cruise to die in Mission Impossible. It's not that kind of movie. But the films where you don't know what's going to happen are incredibly exciting. So if, if you don't know what I'm going to do, that's good. That's what I like. Well, and on, on that note, 
I do really appreciate you coming on to join. I know that you've had a a slate of interviews, so thank you for uh, you know for not falling asleep halfway through or anything. My pleasure. And I, and yeah, I think the album's coming out the same day as the film, so I highly recommend spinning the album because it's got so much texture and level. And I actually spend a long time on the albums. I know normally this is the soundtrack albums, but I spend a long, long time on the albums to make them not just here's a bunch of cues from the film. I kind of go in and re-edit and try and make it a more special listening experience. Awesome. I can't wait. All I'll say is the the handful of tracks I have heard all sounded great. So looking forward to the full thing. Okay, great. All right. Well, it was lovely talking to you.